and welcome to Start Your Week. I'm Roz Taylor and joining me is Alex Andreu. Hello, Alex. Morning, Roz. Back to school. <laughs> Indeed. First off, concrete. I haven't heard as much about it since I was a student and for a University of East Anglia graduate, that is saying something. An aerated form of concrete that was used between the 1950s and 1990 is now becoming dangerously weak and the government claims it's only just realised how perilous some public buildings are. So instead of dropping their kids off at school this week, many parents are back to the hell of remote learning. Thanks to digging by journalists, we now have an idea of how many schools are immediately affected. But this problem goes much further, doesn't it, Alex? Yes, in that it's the sort of perfect metaphor of a country that's falling apart at the seams, sort of public services that are crumbling. And I think that's where it it has become such a huge focus and it seems to have just the most enormous cut through. I was listening to a former Number 10 advisor on Sunday saying that this is an absolute nightmare in terms of PR because what you will have is school gate conversations today on the first day of children going back to school. All parents will be talking about is this story and whether the school is safe or or not. And that is the nightmare scenario for a government trying to sort of massage the issue because it runs away from them. It is right as a metaphor because it is a story of sort of national mismanagement of underspending on public infrastructure of really of cronyism of the turmoil of Brexit of a of a much wider issues about a factional party who has spent now several years purging enemies you know we've had four prime ministers and seven education secretaries in 3 years that isn't a coincidence. It isn't a coincidence that we see schools physically crumbling while no one is taking charge. You have an exhausted civil service, and instead of a government of leadership that includes all the talents, you're now literally scraping the bottom of the barrel to find loyalists, not people who are particularly able or have an aptitude or an interest in their particular area. I mean, look at what happened with Grant Shapps being appointed defence secretary. He hasn't really expressed any thoughts on the subject in the past, let alone shown an interest or an aptitude or a special knowledge in this area. But all that happens now is that you look to appoint people who are loyal to you as prime minister. And after this many changes of prime minister, that becomes quite a difficult exercise. So your options are so severely limited that you end up appointing people who really, it would take them six months to get their feet under the table and to understand the issues at a particular department. And they've been moved on two months later for someone else. And you're right about the salience of the issue. I mean, it does hark back to David Cameron complaining in 2008 that Labour hadn't fixed the roof while the sun was shining. Mm. And I mean, we're not even talking metaphors here. (laughs) This is literally what didn't happen. Michael Gove, of course, cancelled the school rebuilding programme in 2010 when the coalition came to power. Mm. So how does austerity play into this? Hugely. And and importantly, also, Nick Gibb was schools minister, who is still schools minister. 
I was really struck by an interview on the Today program with Jonathan Slater, who used to be the former permanent secretary in the Department of Education until really very recently. And he gave a scathing interview. If they had identified this problem as far back, really they knew about it for decades. They knew it was coming, as it were, but they discovered that, that that particular kind of concrete was coming to the end of its life and beginning to crumble when a piece of concrete fell on someone in 2018, and then it became a huge issue. So this is not a new thing, right? It's been going on for five years. And the Department of Education recommended to uh, the Treasury at the time, and who was Chancellor at the time? Rishi Sunak, that they double the program of school building and school refurbishment from 100 a year to 200 a year. Really, the department's advice was that it needed to increase to 300 or 400 a year in order to actually deal with this problem. But recognizing that there were budgetary constraints and recognizing that there were shortages in the building industry post-Brexit, because, of course, there is also a little Brexit chapter to this, they advised that it go from 100 to 200 a year What happened in that particular budget review? It was halved to 50 a year from 100. That was Rishi Sunak's decision in 2018. So they can scramble around now and tell us that, oh, no, we're, we're acting on the basis of brand new information. But that is bullshit. And I think people know in their bones that this is bullshit because it's been discussed for a very long time that this was a problem. And it's already been a a problem in hospitals, hasn't it, and other public buildings too. If it weren't for concrete, small boats would probably be back again, Mm. wouldn't they? What are the latest developments on that? Well, over the weekend, I think on Saturday, we had a new record uh, for this year, 872 uh, small boat crossings. It is the highest daily total of the year. It gets sort of a lot of attention from the right-wing newspapers, as you would expect it to. And I think it really is quite stunning that on the last mini-reshuffle that was caused by Defence Secretary Ben Wallace resigning, there wasn't even a sort of a whisper about moving Suella Braverman on. You know, a Secretary of State who has failed on every conceivable level during the summer, to almost farcical levels. You know, this is the the political equivalent of slapstick. And yet, there isn't even a whisper that she might be moved out of that department. You know, Sunak will end up in a situation where there is a big segment of the public who loathe what they're doing with regard to this issue because they're being cruel and unreasonable and performatively punishing. And there will be another slice of their vote, which is disgusted with them because they're incompetent, because, you know, they have the prison barge sitting there and no one's on it at the moment, because they can't get the Rwanda scheme really quite literally off the ground at the moment. And so they're caught in this pincer movement 
where having made this, having forced this to the top of the issues table for their voters, they now can't resolve it and they look incompetent and stupid trying to. It really is a very toxic situation. And I think I would double down on my prediction that we will see a late spring, early summer election next year, not a winter election, as everyone is predicting, because I think the issue of channel crossings will become so toxic, the government simply cannot afford another summer of of them happening. I hope you're right about that. Of course, one of the other pledges is inflation. Jeremy Hunt was Mm. bullish about the economy yesterday, but he hinted that inflation might go back up again this month. The FT had a marmalade dropping story last week investigating the absolutely wild price inflation at Pret. Since the pandemic, the cost of lunch there has pretty much doubled. Do you ever go to Pret, Alex? Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's no other option. And yes, the price inflation is astonishing. The Pret sandwich issue, you know, whenever I did go to Pret, I used to get their egg mayonnaise sandwich because I always considered them overpriced anyway. And their egg mayonnaise was actually the cheapest one you could get. And that has now more than doubled in price in the space of two years. So again, you get this gulf between people's lived experience and the rhetoric from government. Jeremy Hunt was touring um, studios uh, yesterday, explaining how the fact that inflation was on target to become 5% by the end of the year meant he was putting money in people's pockets. I mean, how can we have a chancellor that doesn't understand how inflation works? An inflation rate of 5% is not putting money in people's pockets pockets, prices are still going up. They're going, they're just going up less slowly, but they're still going up by 5%, which is more than twice the government's target. So I think they will be caught in that gap between boosterism, between effectively telling everyone how brilliantly things are going, and people seeing in their real life crumbling public services, sky-high prices, and their salary running out earlier and earlier each month. Parliament is back today. Not for very long, as it's soon conference season, but the new Energy and Net Zero Secretary, Claire Coutinho, has the energy bill to push through. Ever since the Uxbridge by-election, we've been hearing about the backlash against net zero. What is the energy bill actually going to do? And are parts of it under threat? There are parts of it under threat. And from quite notable quarters, there are moves from 25 of Sunak's backbenchers, really including quite big names like Alex Sharma, who used to, of course, lead COP26, to Liz Truss, the former prime minister, they have all signed an amendment to the energy bill, which is back in the Commons tomorrow, I think, to end the ban on onshore wind farms. There is a a Telegraph story that says the government might do some sort of deal 
to make a, a statement that they will change the planning rules that might allow that rebellion to sort of be quelled. But it's a really difficult beginning to Claire Coutinho's career in charge of that department to be facing such a, a notable rebellion, really on her first working day back. Yes, and there's a report due out from the Climate Change Committee this week urging the government not to expand airports. Will they take any notice? No, I don't think they will. If you know which journalists are very close to number 10 at the moment, they're all saying the government is set to reject that proposal. And so I think that's a a fairly nailed-on probability that they will ignore it. You know, again, at the same time, I'm talking about this. Heathrow expansion was first a plan in really in the, we're talking decades, but as a serious proposal, it came back in 2006. That's when the Department for Transport presented a plan for building a new runway at Heathrow. That's 16 years ago. It was fully accepted by the Cameron government coming in. You know, they've now been in charge for 13 years. So commenting on Heathrow expansion, you know, by a government that hasn't done it in 30 years in power and will likely be out next year before they've even got planning out of the way. I mean, we might as well discuss sightings of the Sasquatch. I hear very well-sourced rumours of a Labour reshuffle today. What's your information about the moves? There are two schools, you know, and again, if you look at well-placed journalists with Labour sources, you actually can't really make out whether this will be a very mini thing that happens to accommodate some lateral changes and a few departmental changes that have happened because, you know, there's been a, a sort of reshuffle at government level of some departments, they've sort of split energy and given it to another department. They've taken some of digital away from DCMS and, you know, created a new department, I think, of innovation, technology and AI, something like that. I can't recall exactly what it's called. And so one of the schools of thought is that this will be a mini reshuffle that will simply reflect that new structure in government, as is right and proper, with a bigger reshuffle to follow later in the year after Sue Gray, who takes her post today, I think, as Keir Starmer's chief of staff. So after she's had a chance to look at the personnel and and make some recommendations, there is another school of thought that that's been happening behind the scenes anyway over the summer, and that the reshuffle that happens today will be really quite substantial with, you know, people like Darren Jones, who's done exceptionally well as a committee chair, Sarah Jones being promoted, Peter Kyle being moved from Northern Ireland, which he's doing at the moment. There are rumours that Louise Haig is quite vulnerable, that maybe Liz Kendall will be brought into a more senior role. Uh, So we'll just have to wait and see. But I think it's fair to say that Starmer's power is at its zenith at the moment. He really has 
the party under complete control right now. And so if he wants to make changes, now is the time to do it. Does that mean that there might be a change of roles for Angela Rayner or possibly Lisa Nandy maybe moved from levelling up, I think? Yeah, I think Lisa Nandy is seen as not having done exceptionally well in that role, um, where she's, she's had quite a lot of open goals. I mean, I like Lisa Nandy very much personally, but I have to say that she hasn't made the impact that I think she would have hoped. And maybe Angela Rayner is a sort of ideal candidate for that levelling up communities housing role, because I think she speaks with a very authentic voice about the needs of communities, you know, outside the M25 that need funding, that need more housing, etc., etc. And so that is a, a change that would make sense to me. I think Lisa Nandy could be moved to a more effective role. I don't know what that could be, but she's a very talented politician and I can't see her being dropped altogether, although if she's offered a role that she doesn't like, there's always a chance she might not accept it. There's also quite a lot of by-elections coming up, and of course there's a general election coming up. So this might be also the time when someone is appointed to sort of lead the electoral effort on the Labour side, and maybe that person will be Lisa Nandy. I don't know. So, I mean, all eyes on that. You know, the the SNP is meant to be moving the writ today for Rutherglen and Hamilton West. It is possible that Mid-Bedfordshire will be moved today as well. If not today, it will be in the next few days. So we are looking at by-elections in the sort of first to second week of October. There are also rumours that the Chris Pincher appeal against his eight-week suspension. The decision will be out this week, and that might bring a Tamworth by-election a step closer. So we could be looking at another clutch of three by-elections in mid-October, just after conferences, which could be another big political moment on the calendar. Well, Tamworth is often seen as a bellwether seat, isn't it? Mm, It's mm. a year this week since Liz Truss took over as PM, and almost a year since the Queen died. And that means the King's been on the throne for a year. Mm. I've been looking up all the stuff that was said at the time about the end of an era for Britain. But has it really been the end of an era? I have no sense of the Carolingian era yet. (laughs) And what Charles wants to achieve has achieved. I mean, Charles will be relieved that trust only lasted 40-odd days. Can you imagine if that disaster had defined the start of his era? I think the crux of this period will be repair, which is very Charles, actually. Repair rather than replace. Um, Recycle, yeah. Yeah. But, But it will take an election. It does feel as if the nation is ready for a new age now and is being held back by the fact that Sunak hasn't quite finished interviewing for Silicon Valley positions yet. Yeah, I think there's a danger. There's a danger that that what happened to Gordon Brown will begin to happen to Sunak. And 
to a much, much worse degree because Rishi Sunak is no Gordon Brown in terms of, you know, ability, that he will start to be seen as a squatter. And once that narrative takes hold, once the the public begin to demand an election specifically to oust the prime minister, it really spells disaster for an administration, I think. On Saturday, Rishi Sunak is travelling to India to the G20 summit. What's on their agenda? I mean, it will be once again Ukraine. And how could it not be dominated by Ukraine with Putin not attending. The White House is briefing that uh, Joe Biden will try to have bilateral meetings with all the individual readers about uh, climate change. There's also a discussion about the World Bank doing more to fight global poverty. That will be an interesting one to see. But I think it will be like the last one where they failed to sort of sign a a joint declaration just because there was so much acrimony between the members over Ukraine. And really, it's all about trying to nudge people who are still friendly to Russia to be a bit more on the fence and trying to nudge countries which are on the fence to get off the fence and come on the side of the West. So it will be I'm afraid Ukraine, with different hues, but Ukraine wall-to-wall all the time. In Ukraine, Zelensky has sacked his defence minister. Why? I mean, Oleksiy Reznikov, he is the defence minister, but he wasn't appointed with the war in mind, as it were. He was already the defence minister when the large-scale invasion of Ukraine happened last February. So you could be prone to overinterpret it or underinterpret it, but I think it is looked together with President Zelensky's statement, who said it's time for new approaches um, in the defense ministry. I think that Reznikov going is the first external sign we have seen that the spring offensive has not gone as well as I think both the Ukrainian government and the international community had expected. What else have you got your eye on internationally this week? Well, going back to Sunak in India, there's some interested briefings coming out of number 10. I mean, we wanted a trade deal. It became quite clear a couple of weeks ago we weren't going to get a quick one. So now number 10 is briefing. We didn't want a quick deal anyway. Lols. And there may be actually progress in uh, the India trail with the EU, which Number 10 has been briefing to right-leaning newspapers all last month, was going terribly badly. Apparently, that's been going better than people thought. So that could be quite a significant moment where the UK fails to secure a trade deal with India, but the EU does. That might again bring the subject of Brexit to the fore. Finally, there's an ill-timed heatwave in the UK this week and temperatures may go over 30 degrees, but this is very much not the case at the Burning Man Festival in Nevada, where it is not burning. Yeah, the site has apparently been turned into a sort of mud basin 
the roads in and out have been closed. A person has died already, but tens of thousands have been left stranded, apparently, and they, they're urged to take shelter in the mountains. It sounds absolutely horrific. And this comes hot on the heels of Florida being bashed by a hurricane and Hawaii being you know, hit by very bad forest fires. And it feels a little bit as if the, the, the climate change denying chickens are coming home to roost. And I think with both Biden and Trump, who is still the most likely Republican candidate, having really placed the bets on this issue very, very clearly, I think the Republicans are in for a great loss of votes if they continue down this path of saying, you know, climate change is everything from a hoax to not as bad as everyone says, while their voters observe these disasters going on now on a very regular basis. And I think that is a global situation. I think people who position themselves against climate change action, who position themselves as denying the magnitude or source of the problem, I think they will begin to really struggle politically now. And and I suspect you will see a lot of reshuffling on that in the next couple of years. Let's hope so. Alex, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. And thanks to listeners for joining us. Have a good rentrée. And if you can't afford a pret sandwich anymore, do consider backing us instead. It's cheaper and <laughs> arguably more nourishing. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. You'll get episodes early and ad-free, plus a shout-out on the show. Here's Alex with today's. A big, warm Monday back-to-school hug and pencil case for David Healy, Ivan and Tom Pine. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Ros Taylor with Alexandreou. The producer was Liam Tate and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison with music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott. Start Your Week from the Bunker is a Podmasters production.